0: So, I just wanted to tell you guys a little story about a young guy whose name was Lang. And Lang grew up in the 70s and 80s, and there was a special moment in time called the Cold War where Lang was influenced by all of the news and the talk of nuclear war and what that meant and the effects of it and there were movies made about it stories written in it written about it in big magazines and talked about on news and news channels and different other kinds of programs after school specials all kinds of stuff how to be prepared nuclear war. And this probably goes back even further. When you think about it. Back to the 50's and 60's. And Bay of Pigs. And you know. I'm sure people that are older than me. Can attest to having drills at school. Where they would have to. Crouch down in a hallway. Against a wall. For protection from. A nuclear bomb. Total vaporization. Annihilation. You know? So, yeah, I used to think about this stuff all the time when I was younger. And I used to have, like, nightmares almost on a daily basis about just everything being wiped away. Because some people have keys to things where they can press a button and and stuff, you know? And it really, uh, it sucked. I mean, I would go to school every day thinking, okay, it's probably going to happen. I'll be walking to school and just everything will end. And the only thing I remember was like people saying, oh, it's just, all you'll feel, you won't even feel anything. It's just like a warm breeze. Like that would make it better or something. You know? And I can pretty much say that it didn't. Okay? So, yeah. There was, like, at least a decade or more of my life where I just... I was was expecting total annihilation, you know? From people with the power to do so. And then it seemed to kind of go away, right? I mean... The idea of that... Annihilating everything on the world kind of went away. It subsided, at least, from my perspective, through the 90s. And then the whole terrorism thing, blah, blah, blah. When the Soviet Union broke down, and then all those movies came out about terrorists getting hold of nuclear weapons. Like that was the next nuclear threat to be scared of. Dirty bombs. And now we're back to uh, square one with uh, with our with our buddies across the Pacific, right? And now I can guarantee you, there are kids out there, anywhere from twenty and under, maybe even older. Who knows? Twenty five and under, who are probably terrified right now because they have no idea. They've never experienced this before. And they're going through the exact same thing that I went through and a a lot of other kids went through that are my age and from those generations before. You know, we brought it back, that fear of nuclear war and total annihilation. All right. And uh, I wish I had something I could tell people to, you know, hey, this will be okay. blah, blah, blah. I, I have no idea. You know what? And I'm not going to worry about it. If it happens, it happens. You know? But those uh, those kids out there, man, you, everybody should pay attention. Right? And, uh, yeah. And maybe while we're at it, maybe we uh, should all get together and tell these people that are freaking everybody the fuck out. To maybe, uh, shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up. And stop fucking Dick sword fighting, alright? Because, uh, yeah. Uh, it's not doing anybody any good. And, uh, maybe, maybe what we should do is if they're really angry at each other, we should cage match world leaders and do pay per view. And maybe then we'll finally see people stop being total fucking assholes. And maybe then they'll chill the fuck out and be cool. Because then their ass will be on the line, not everybody else's. Materialism. Langisms. Isn't. Socialism. Spiritualism.
1: Nationalism. Ism.
0: Isms. Isms Langisms. What's up everybody? Welcome to the Langisms Podcast. And I'm Lang in case you guys didn't know or were wondering or were just maybe confused in general about everything. And this is my podcast where I like to talk about all kinds of things and you never know what I'm gonna be talking about. On this episode, though, since I am so swamped with school and I am on the home stretch, I uh, went ahead and found this awesome discussion piece that I had with my friend Scott Parrish down in the Barnyard Recording Studios in beautiful Vancouver, Washington. And on this podcast, we talk about glass art and doing making glass beads and the process of creativity and the experiences we've had selling our, our glass and doing bead shows and art shows and all kinds of stuff. So if you guys are interested in creativity and art and all that stuff in any way, I recommend going ahead and giving this a listen. And uh, before I get started, I want to go ahead and let you guys know that you can contact me if you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, or anything for any of the episodes. You can contact me through my website, langstevens.net, or you can go to langisms.blogspot.com and make a comment on a blog post thread for whatever episode or blog post there is, or you can email me at awakemindjourney at gmail.com, all right? So I'm going to go ahead and get this thing going and uh, unleash upon you guys a conversation between me and my friend Scott Parrish. So go ahead and... Put your seats back up into their full upright positions. Strap on your proton packs and your antenna mounted space helmets and get ready to blast off into an awesome conversation with me and my friend Scott Parrish. So buckle up and enjoy. All right, everybody. Got Scott Parrish back on the podcast again. We're going to attempt to correct one of the lost files that those Russian hackers got out of my computer to deter the election in France, but it didn't work. So we're going to talk about glass art and being creative and our our journeys through that process and world. Um, Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Um, So what I wanted to ask you is, Kind of what was your creative uh endeavors before you got into glass?
1: Um well before glass, um I was working a lot with wood for a few years before that. Um I was, Morning Wood. What's that? Morning wood <laughs> <laughs> occasionally. Uh no, I was uh I did I bought a lathe and was working with uh mostly like exotic hardwoods okay um and doing stuff with those um and before that music yeah you know i started playing guitar when i was uh 14 or something like that and that was pretty much all i did up until the time i was like you know around 30 okay 28 i guess 28 is when twenty twenty seven twenty eight 27 28 is when i started working with wood and I did that for about four years. And then I moved overseas, and so I left all the equipment there and everything yeah. like that. And then when I came back um, to the States, uh, all that stuff was in storage, and I didn't have a place to set it up. Yeah, um, And that's when I got interested in glass uh, and uh, started working with that. So,
0: so uh, how did you get turned on to the whole idea of doing glass?
1: Uh, you know, I'd always been fascinated by it. I remember, um, I remember seeing— chihuly back in the early days uh you know we were in olympia in the tacoma area we had ties to tacoma we used to live there and for uh, for for
0: those of you that don't know there is the chihuly uh the glass museum that dale chihuly started it's in tacoma just just so you know
1: (laughs) right and that was years after we started working with glass but you know that's a fairly recent one but um uh but i remember chihuly from uh the early 80s uh, bringing stuff around and and seeing his stuff and then i also have memories of uh, the little mall kiosk guys uh, that's my biggest and disneyland you know, kiosk the guys. Disneyland, Yeah, the disneyland disneyland style glass blowing with the little figurines all the um, the little glass knitted um pirate ships pirate ships <laughs> and the tall ships with the the crocheted glass yeah, on. yeah they would
0: and, do like the the crochet stands with dolphins like three dolphins on it yeah. and maybe like a wave behind them
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing those, and I I remember the the distinct sound of, while the guy was working with it, you know, you'd hear the torch screaming, because those things sound like a little jet engine, and and behind that, you'd hear all this little clinking and ticking, and and it was the fucking glass cracking. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't annealing it properly. Right, right, right. That was was the show part. Cheap glass, but, you know. Uh, but it's it's a cool technique, and uh, I've tried it. And it's hard, man. Yeah, yeah it takes, a lot, it takes of a lot of practice to to perfect that. But
0: yeah, and you have to have enough like glass that you're willing to waste, and enough oxygen to
1: waste to learn to do that. Yeah, the glass is a cheap part. The oxygen's getting pretty damn expensive. Yeah. Though,
0: so where did you uh, where did you go to find some information on doing glass?
1: Well, honestly, you know, I had seen. Um I guess my my the resurgence of interest in glass came from glass pipes. Okay. Um you know they were coming on to the scene in the early 90s um and when I was living in Portland and I was just always kind of like how does this work? You know, yeah. the color changing glass was always like. That was know, a mysterious. big thing that when that started. Really cool. I remember
0: that that was the big sales pitch at the shops. Right. Like, oh, this changes
1: color, you know. Yeah. And so that was that was kind of fascinating. And um, uh, but I'd never seen anybody blow a glass pipe. And so um, I came back from overseas and uh, I moved in with my parents for a little while and was going to save up money to buy a house. hmm. Because uh, I came back from overseas completely broke. Because I traveled around as much as I could before I came home. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I was at the house, and at the you, time, you
0: blew your global wad, right, so to say. <laughs> I
1: literally came back into Seattle and had six dollars in I mean, my pocket. That's pretty good, man. Yeah, yeah, that was for pretty a good. Trip. Uh, I should have bought another Asian pair in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I was I was staying with my parents, and they did not have cable at the time, and I didn't have access to a computer most of the time. I mean, I could go check my email on my dad's computer, but I wasn't able to sit down and surf the net and use it, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and um, so I actually was spending a lot of time at the library and just got a hair at my butt one day and did a search for uh, – you know, how to blow glass Mm -hmm. and uh, came up with this process called lamp working that I had never heard of before. And they, of course, didn't have any books on how to blow pipes or anything like that. But they had uh, some videos and several books at the library at the library uh, on uh, glass bead making. So I was in Thurston County at the time in Olympia. And the library system up there is really cool because it goes over like five counties or something like that. There's 30-some branches. Unified library. Right, and you could order them all in and have them shipped to you. And back then, they would ship them to your house for free. You just... Oh, that's pretty nice. Yeah, it's a really great library system, and they had a really great selection of books. So I got those and read the books and watched the videos and um, just started looking around where to buy equipment and, and things like that. And I found that one of the largest suppliers of, uh, soft glass bead making supplies was like 30 miles from my house in Shelton. And, um, so I, uh, went up there and bought some glass and I ordered a torch and some other things from another company. Um, uh, a little bit before that, and I spent maybe about $250, $300 to start out and got myself a torch and some glass and started making beads.
0: There you go. And just so you know, see, it just goes to show you what a wealth of information the library is, and then you can, like, get turned on to a lot of stuff Yeah, library. You know,
1: I just moved down here to Vancouver about two years ago, and I finally got my library card. Um, I guess it's been about nine months ago now. And uh, the library system down here is incredible, too. It's very similar to what they had up there, being across multiple counties and many branches. And uh, But now, with everything the way it is online and on the phone apps, you know, I've got all these apps that I can download pretty much any book or... You know, there's tons of movies out yeah. there, and and videos, and comic books, and it's just incredible what you can get through the libraries now. Yeah,
0: the digital format is—they have so much of it now, too.
1: Right, and you don't even have to leave your house no. to even get the books. It's no. it's awesome. So, no, and I
0: actually have a library card in Snohomish County, which is like a unified thing. Uh, through the whole county and the island county as well. Right. Snow Isle Libraries. And I also have a King County Library card, so I get to I access both of those online nice. as much as I want. And it's really, they have a lot of stuff. So do you still in, have any of your very first beads
1: you made? Uh, my mom does. Yeah. yeah. How were they? Um, You know, I had, honestly, um, they, they were actually round pretty quickly. Oh, that's um, pretty good probably i want to say maybe the 6th or 7th bead that i made so was it the visual learning with the videos and stuff yeah. that helped you do that i'm a yeah, visual learner as I well i actually well i kind of obsess about things when i when i want to start something i'll i'll do as much research as i can uh-huh. and i just read things over and over and do the research yeah. on it and stuff and i was kind of like that and while i was waiting for stuff to get there in the mail and and things you know um i was watching those videos over and over again yeah yeah cuz wasn't doing anything else you know yeah. we didn't have cable tv either, you know so i'd read every book in the house already so that was kind of what prompted me to get started you know with another hobby again too yeah and um so i kind of had a really good idea of what i was supposed to be doing of course you know feeling it is completely different it probably takes a couple swings right um but honestly the bead making was really similar to lathe work because you know when you're making a bead you're holding on to like a little stainless steel mandrel that's about a foot long and you put a blob of glass on it and then you spin it around while you're heating it and you have to balance it because glass gets molten like honey and getting that motion down and doing the round understanding how to spin things to shape them you know the lathe there's a lot of this stuff on the lathe that really uh, translated over to that, yeah. Um, so, and then you know I had also done uh, sponge sugar work. While that's I was really school. super similar. <laughs> and That's very very similar to it. Yeah, because you know?
0: when I when I went to culinary school after blowing glass, and we did pastry, and we were doing sponge sugar, I was like, oh, this is just like it's glass. So I was wondering easy. if I could yeah. do stuff with glass like this. That's what I, the yeah. first thing I and thought.
1: S- so that helped a little bit too. Um, and then I have fairly good you know coordination in my hands, so um it just kind of it came about pretty quickly that i was able to make a round bead now that didn't mean it was a good bead no you know but it was for your
0: first bead. it was probably spectacular yeah
1: it was it was a round bead and it had holes that didn't have you know jagged edges that were going to cut the strings or anything like that so it it was
0: a usable bead yeah because i remember some of the first things i made i was just like oh yeah (laughs) so
1: and and i did you know you know it doesn't take a lot of time to make a bead you can go down and make you know 20 30 beads in an hour uh for really simple ones and uh you know i could i didn't have a kiln at that point i was just uh cooling stuff down in a uh, ceramic blanket so yeah. i couldn't make anything big anyway i was just making small round beads um but you know came about pretty quickly and then um it was it was almost a month to the day after I got my equipment that I put my first beads up on eBay. Yeah. And that first set of auctions I did... Uh, so were
0: they auctions or were they a set price? No,
1: they were auctions. Okay. And I set everything, I started everything out, you know, at like 2 or $3 for mm-hmm. a set of beads of like, you know, a dozen, 15 beads. Yeah. And, um... And this was kind of at the craze where lampwork beads were really starting to take off, and they were getting popular, and it was very easy to sell them. But I sold every auction on there, um, and I made back every dime that I had put into glass up to that point. That's a a good feeling. Right, (laughs) yeah. And, and I mean, you look back at them now, and, you know, they were shit beads. But, um, you know, they were round, and they were, you know— what i've learned with, what i've learned with <laughs>
0: like the things that i make that i don't really think are like up to my standards is that there's always somebody out there that thinks that they're spectacular right, right you know so that that's what i go away with whenever i think something that i made is shitty i'm just like oh you know what maybe it's not maybe
1: somebody else really likes it right and of course you know this it design is subjective so yeah. you know and i but i was just doing simple dots and and lines and stuff on beads it wasn't anything exciting but
0: at least you didn't go down and make a frickin' uh ocean net float thing down. On
1: the <laughs> <shore>. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't do that, but but no, that that got me kind of hooked. I was like, "Holy crap, that was that was a lot of money yeah. for not knowing what the hell I was doing at that point." And uh so I, you know, a couple of weeks later, I did another set of auctions and I I made like another $500. And then my mom kicked me off her ebay account told me to go get my own so the irs didn't show up (laughs) at her door and so it was like holy shit this was like real fast i mean within within two months of um making my first attempt at making beads i was you know i had over a thousand dollars of income and i had paid everything back and had money in the bank from it and uh i was like this is what's going on this is too fucking easy keep going yeah weird (laughs) So um you know that led to me immediately buying a better torch, buying a kiln. Um And once
0: you once you start upgrading your torch, it's like things really start to like open up, I think. That's when you start going, "Oh, there's like more versatility with this than I didn't realize I could right. do things with." And
1: cost adds up real fast too though yeah. cuz at that point it was um Either go to bottled oxygen, which I didn't have a way to haul around, or go to oxygen concentrators. And so I had to buy a couple oxygen concentrators. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a lot of cost up front. So, but I never put another dime into the business that it didn't pay for itself.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of how you want to do like art, I think, anyway. You know, I'm not really sure how the high world of finance goes, but for like artists, I think that's kind of a, a good way to get things going yeah
1: yeah if you can if you can avoid having to put other income back into it as as soon as possible that's a great thing because you know you don't ever want to be like taking getting to the point where you're desperate um to have to sell your art to support yeah you know other things
0: yeah when it gets to the point where you feel like you like you're desperate to sell things because you have to that's when it's not fun anymore, right? Right. So, but I, I, I've I've been there and stuff, and I'm sure you have too. And it's just like one of those things. Once you get there, it's like, okay, how do I get back to that spot where it was happy time?
1: Yeah, <laughs> but I've never had I've never had to borrow money to put it back into the business to keep yeah. it afloat or anything like that. So uh, that's always been a good thing. Um, but yeah, so I did that for. Quite a while. It was, it was, and did you about, take any
0: classes at all after doing the, uh, I writing?
1: did probably, it was, let's see, I bought all that stuff after my birthday in May and I went down, uh, to Eugene, uh, to take a class with, uh, Jim Smersich. I did private lessons with him.
0: How much is that?
1: I think it was like six fifty for a few days. Um, it wasn't cheap and, you know, I had to get a hotel for, uh, for a couple nights and, um, you know drive down there and stuff but again i was still working Uh full-time and i was living at my parents house uh which they were nice enough to let me live rent-free while you know and i was saving money up for a house and um so i think they were a little bit pissed off that i spent the money on the glass equipment to start out with but it was it was only it's a few an hundred. investment in your future man well it, it it turned out to be, but you know it was only a few hundred bucks, and I mean, I had gotten like a hundred dollars for my birthday, so, so at that, that time were they like,
0: oh, why is he messing around with that
1: yeah oh, <laughs> well, my dad definitely was you know, I don't think my mom cared too much, but you know, yeah, she was glad to see me doing something other than sit in my room but <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you know, that was, it it turned into um, quite a bit of cash really quick. And so I had a lot of extra money Uh floating around. And so I was like, okay, well, I can do this. I've got the money from the business to do it. So I'm going to do it. And so that's actually the only class I've ever taken formally. Now I've gotten together with several artists where we get together for, you know, like a glass play date and community. we'll sit there and, and show stuff back and forth. I mean, you and I have done that several times. And mm-hmm. um, so I've definitely learned from a lot of different people, but that's the only, that's the only formal lesson I've paid for.
0: Yeah. So you started, you started doing the beads and stuff. When did you start doing the shows? Cause I, that's where I met you was doing the right. shows. Right.
1: Um, let's see. I started um, I started making beads in 2002, and I want to say the first show that I did was the Fall Show of 2003. I'd been selling only on eBay mm-hmm. up until that. And point. where was that at? That was Portland Bead Society Show. Okay. the one at Montgomery Park. So you went ahead and the joined falls. the
0: Bead Society and stuff. Oh yeah, and went, did all that. Okay. Yeah. So what turned you on to the Bead Society?
1: Uh it was there. It was a place to sell beads.
0: Did you? That did somebody it. tell you about it or?
1: I I think de- I found it. I think I I remember, okay because I came down for a bead show, that was a national bead show uh that was at the convention center. Yeah. Uh earlier that year. And the the uh bead society had an information booth there. Okay. And and that's where I found out and joined the bead society and learned about the bazaar there and did the bazaar. Yeah. And then um That spring, I did Art and Elegance the first time, and I believe it was the following years when I met you. So it would have been, I think we met in 2005, if I remember right.
0: Yeah, it was 2005 in uh, Spokane. I think no probably... the first show that
1: we met at was in it was oh, the saw Portland you. Spring yeah, Show. Yeah, I did see you there. Yeah. yeah,
0: and I learned about the Beat Society from doing a show in Spokane, right? Because there was somebody from the Beat Society, and
1: I learned about the Spokane shows from you. Yeah, at Art and Elegance, and then you, met and Lisa then I started doing those. Right? Those. Yeah, yeah.
0: I wonder if she still does those. No,
1: they're uh, they're a thing in the past. I think she still does like her shop. The, yeah, and the like the the traveling trunk show thing. Yeah, um, she doesn't
0: set up a show anymore.
1: She doesn't run the large shows. Uh, no. They
0: kind of lost a lot of like the the cool vendors and stuff because of all the other stuff coming in. Well, and
1: all of the shows have pared down. I mean, um, even the Portland Bead Society show, the um, you know the the fall bead bazaar, um, smaller. Yeah, it's way smaller because you know that used to be like ninety vendors, and uh-huh. it was on both levels of Montgomery Park. Yeah, and now it's only on the bottom floor, so they don't even have the upper floor, and that was there was probably fifty vendors upstairs.
0: I wonder if it was just one of those things, like in any kind of industry, it got really big really fast and then it deflated, then, especially after a 2008. Well, know, that was part of it. it. Was sucky.
1: The other part of it was I mean, it's a fad. Yeah. You know, like anything, it was a trend uh, that they got real popular for a while because there was a lot of, um, right before I got into it, there had been a lot of expansion of the technology and um, the exposure of of glass beads yeah into the market and pandora all that stuff came that out. was a little bit later from when i started uh it was a couple years after that but um the biggest thing is um they started importing the glass right oh. into the united states because yeah. all of when i started all of the lamp working glass uh there was only two places to get it it was either from italy or from japan And most of it was from Italy and that's what all of us were using at the time. And there, there was a company in Shelton, uh, they started bringing in all the Italian glass. Yeah. And, and so we all of a sudden had, you know, about 120 colors on a palette available. Now that happened before I started. So I, I got into the industry with that available, but that had happened just a few years before uh, I got into it. And They were starting to make dichroic glass for soft glass and everything. And so there was there was really getting some some momentum behind it. Um, And uh, but then the market got so huge on eBay that the uh, the Chinese saw it and saw the opportunity. And, you know, as they do, uh, they. They copied the uh, the designs and Well
0: I, I, I knew I remember talking to glass blowers and hearing, Oh yeah, I knew this guy, you know, he went to China for a month and, and taught them taught how to people. make three different things. Right. You know, and it's like I started hearing more and more of these stories and then all of a sudden you start seeing like you said at the shows, you start seeing more glass and now it's like you can't go to like a craft store without there being a bead section in the craft store and like the big super craft stores.
1: Right. And you and you're seeing, you know, it used to all be Czech press glass beads. Oh, yeah. And then, like, the Japanese delicas and seed beads and stuff like yeah. that. Those are glass. But um, glass beads before the – the. I mean, lampworking has been around. Lampwork beads have been around since at least the 12th century and probably – Earlier, probably. probably yeah. they, the Egyptians made some beads that are – Kind debated of. If they're lampwork or not, they're a little bit different process. Um, but those were as early as uh, 5th century B.C., And the Venetian glass movement brought the glass beads into the trade uh, in, you know, 11th, 12th, 13th centuries. And those were were what all the African trade beads were. Uh, The African Bead Society show. (laughs) right, Right. So, but the Chinese saw this and they started making beads and sending them over here. And at first it was no big deal because they weren't as good as ours. They weren't using good glass um they were using uh cheap glass that they were making in china out of recycled color and you know the um the um italian glass was made with virgin silica so it's a lot cleaner the colors look a lot better you know they knew what they were doing and and um so you could definitely i mean you could walk up to a bead back in those days and say, oh that's a chinese bead yeah and You know, there were there were probably only like maybe four or five different companies in China that were manufacturing the beads. But, you know, over the years, they um, they started getting better, Mm -hmm. you know, because now they got artists over there that had been making beads for three or four years and they were catching up and they were also making better glass in China. Someone um, went over to China and. Got a glass factory over there to start manufacturing a line of compatible 104 COE soft glass for the bead industry for shipment over to the United States and (laughs) took all the formulas and everything over there. So I don't know if that had anything to do with the Chinese lamp working industry figuring out how to make good glass now. Uh, But that came about also. Um, So the glass got better. The artists got better. And, you know it became increasingly hard for a beginner to get in and by that point my beads were so advanced and i was demanding so much money for my beads that the chinese still weren't my competition yeah so i didn't i was running into
0: issues with the pendants and stuff because you could sit there and go over and buy two chinese pendants for 10 bucks with a nice floral implosion and stuff but like, that was just one of my pendants was 20 bucks, Right. You know, and it was like, I, I remember so many people looking at my thing, and then I would watch them walk away with two of those over there. Right. And it was just kind of one of those things like, well, I guess I'm not doing this show again. Well, <laughs> you know? and it,
1: at first, for the first couple of years, it didn't matter because they could see the difference. yeah. But then after a couple of years, it was like, oh, shit, these look as good yeah. as, as mine, you know. Yeah. They're they're well made. They don't they they're not all wonky anymore. The colors aren't all crap. Yeah, and then it, that's when I
0: realized one thing too. I was like, oh, so maybe be I'd have to do higher scale bead shows in order to right. really do anything, or I'd have to stick to craft arts and craft shows. Right,
1: and you know, but there there was which is a totally
0: it, different ball game than a bead show. Like it's really weird. Yeah, and,
1: it is. Um, the the other part of it though is that. The The good part of all that is it kicks you in the ass to step up your game and yeah. get better at what you do. Yeah, it does. Uh, because no matter what and no matter how good they get, someone over in China taking five minutes to produce a pendant is not going to be able to produce something as nice a quality that you're going to spend 20 minutes on. Yeah, that's true. And take your time on. That's true. You know. The 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 challenge becomes educating the public on what the differences between those things are. And at first, with the beads, it was really easy because you could oh look at obviously this see the difference. Look at this defect, you know? But honestly, over the years, it's gotten harder and harder and harder. Yeah. Um, but but, you know, but you fortunately,
0: you but fortunately for us, two thousand eight came around and basically slapped everybody upside the face and right. said, ha. You guys are suckers (laughs) because uh, that's one of the reasons I stopped uh, doing shows and glass and stuff is just because nobody was buying anything after everything kind of tanked in the economy and stuff.
1: Yeah. The shows went downhill real quick.
0: Like it was night and day from like one year to the next. You know, I was making money one year and the next year I was freaking out that I was like either breaking even at shows or being in the hole.
1: Right. I You know, that was a difference in our market, though, because you marketed uh, – I mean, a lot of what you were selling were pendants. Yeah, that and marbles and stuff. That weren't really made to be incorporated into jewelry designs. No. Right? And uh, so you were selling basically directly to the public – the end user, I guess I should say. Yeah. yeah someone who's going to put it on their neck right then and wear it from there on out. I was selling um, – mostly to jewelry makers and that was i had um several large wholesale accounts that were professional jewelry makers that had their own businesses and i sold to a lot of crafters that were just doing it because that's what they that was their hobby yeah. you know uh mostly older uh retired aged women um and that's what they did for fun and you know so it hit me in one sense because in 2008, uh, 90% of my wholesale jewelry accounts went away. Because I mean, they, they were
0: feeling the... No, the... they
1: just they just quit because oh, wow. they weren't selling anything. Yeah. So it hit me about six months after it hit them. Okay. You know, because they would always buy six months ahead for shows and stuff like that. and But once their show started tanking, they started tapering their sales off real fast. Yeah and and that went away real quick. Um what did go away were the crafters. Yeah. Uh because honestly the the demographic of that crowd for me, the the recession did not hit them hard. You know, so most of them were were because they weren't they weren't doing
0: bead shows. <laughs> no, 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 they, they were trying to sell their stuff to
1: start out with. They were um, they were doing it as a hobby. They were giving this stuff yeah. away for presents. Maybe a few of them sold it, uh, just but they were doing it just to buy more beads. Yeah. So anything they sold, they'd come over to your table and buy you know spend it on beads. So I knew several people that uh, from the bead societies that would come and sell their little earrings and, and stuff like that. They'd never take a dime home from the show because they would spend every dime of it at the show, and that's just what they did. So yeah. those people, that business didn't go away. Yeah, and and so, but I mean, again, a huge part of my business went way downhill. Yeah, uh, but whereas yours is, you know, I was hit like like in the face, like
0: I was like, "Holy crap!" Right. And that was the know? same
1: thing that happened to my jewelry designers, which in turn. And and it was really what I
0: was really disheartening about the whole thing is like I was doing a lot of art and craft shows that year, a lot of street fairs and stuff. And there was people at them. It's just everybody was not buying it. They would come out and they would talk to you and they were they were doing it as a way to get out of their house and not spend any money and have kind of a fit and outing. Right. You know, so it was like, a, I guess, a learning kind of fun experience for them. But for the people selling that, at the end of the day, after you sat there and talked your ass off yeah. all day and tried to be personable with people, and they they get all the information from you and then just walk off, it was really kind of like, oh man, what am I gonna do? Yeah, you know? it's
1: really hard. But you know, that's part of the game. I mean, it's you know, um, even at the bead shows, at the height of my glass blowing, and you know, I I got pretty well known in the local area here i mean people looked for me at shows and you know at a and e i started i got up to the point my i think my best year there i did uh six grand at that one show that's a really good show um over a couple days so you know but even with that um you know you're getting rejected like 75 80 percent of the time when people come up to your booth they look at your stuff and they turn around and walk away. And yeah. a lot of them will sit there and turn to their friend and tell you how cheap this shit looks. Yeah, and I actually
0: I had a guy at the at an art show. It was an actually art. It was a part of the uh, Tacoma Food Festival thing down at the Zoo Park down there oh, in the water. Right, right, right. Yeah, and they have like an art thing there too for artists and craftsmen. And I was at my table and this guy, these two young guys walked by. You know, dressed in izod and very preppy looking and stuff. Not that that has to do anything with anything, but he was kind of made the comment that after he looked at my stuff that he could pick up a rock and sell it for 20 bucks. <laughs> and like that was that was, I think, one of the last shows I did because that like just like put a stab in me kind of because I was doing really bad in sales at the time. And then to hear somebody say that like I was so pissed off like for like a week right, about that.
1: Well, and I've had people So people come up. people
0: can be kind of dicks and when they don't understand things.
1: Yeah, I've had people come up and turn to other customers from my table and was like you shouldn't buy this. This is cheap imported shit. And I'm like <laughs> And I'm like it's not imported. And she goes, "Yes it is." And I was like, "No, I make them all myself. I know what they are. They're not imported." <laughs> and you know, they just they 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 know more than you do about your own product and the, you know, they won't believe anything. They probably ran said,
0: into somebody yeah. that gypped them over and said they made them, but they didn't. Exactly. And now everybody that makes them is guilty. Yeah. 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 I mean, people do that. So uh, we both kind of have taken a break from all that, you know, and we're both kind of getting back into it. Right.
1: Uh, trying to. Slowly. Right. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, a,
0: it's a bit of a struggle. We're both busy. We both have things going on and you kind of like lose your chops a little. When you don't do it for a while. Hugely. You know, because I've been back on the torch for you guys that have been listening and stuff. And why I don't spend as much time on it as I want to, the time I have spent, I've been working to try to just get back to where I was. As far as, like, at least putting out stuff with no mistakes.
1: Yeah, and it's really frustrating because I don't, I haven't been able to get into a group where I've been able to go down and work every day. Yeah, that's hard and, to get back into, and it is. And and the other problem is, some of the motivation has dissipated gone from it. Yeah. Um, and um, and just the situation here uh, with, you know, it's it's not a good environment to be working in my house anymore, and uh, so it's just been hard to get back into it. And I feel like I need to sit down there and work. Every day, at least four hours a day for a year to get even close to back to the point where I was. I kind
0: of started doing that and then I was like, you know what? It's too much of a struggle. So if I can do a half hour to an hour at a point time and maybe work up from there, I get happy if I can just do that. And then if it's a productive hour, that's what I'm really looking for right now is just productivity because, like, I'm trying to learn how to make more sculpture stuff now, too, in addition to getting the pendants back up. So as long as I'm doing an hour when I go out there, which I wish it was more, but just a little bit at a time is more than none.
1: Right. Well, and I find myself getting really frustrated because I don't want to do the shit that I've done before. Yeah. You want to to try to expand. I want to try to take things in a different direction. I want to move forward from where I was, but I'm not where I was. Yeah. So I can't move forward from there. And so I'm like, what can you do to move I'm making forward? The same kind of shit beads that I was making. Well, they're not shit beads, but I mean, I'm making the same kind of crap I was making, you know, ten years ago. And and I'm they're not as good as what I was making. So would you want to make
0: different? You want to stop making beads and make something else? Or? No,
1: not necessarily that. I just I I want to just
0: a new technique. Take
1: things to another level. huh. And and I've got some ideas with what I want to do, but I can't do them physically now because i'm not good enough
0: yeah and and that's where that whole practice thing and do just doing it every day to get the the skill back right because it's just like any kind of like skill you do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again eventually
1: yeah
0: it's just gonna happen and then you'll be like oh i don't know why it was so hard in the beginning
1: (laughs) well and i got on this this bit for a while and i was like all right i gotta get back on to making production work and getting into the groove of doing stuff so i got some of the old colors that i wanted to weed out uh and weren't going to use ever again you know lines of colors um and uh so i had some of the old spectrum that's not available anymore and there's probably 10 pounds of it i'm like separated it all out and everything into the colors and i'm like all right i'm just going to sit here and make spacer beads with all of it Uh and um so i sat down there and made thousands and thousands and thousands of spacer beads and came out of that and then started working on the kitchen and completely got out of my groove
0: oh yeah
1: you know and so now all of that i feel like i've wasted all that too because at least i was getting back into a groove of actually sitting down there and doing pumping
0: stuff out easy getting easier and easier
1: right and and it's so discouraging because with the beads you know that you don't have with working on the boro. It, you know the boro. You don't have to clean the damn things afterwards.
0: Yeah, and, and that's uh, one of the things I decided this time around, going back into it, is like I am not dealing with a bead mandrel yeah, ever again. Period. I know.
1: And I don't want to, but <laughs> but for soft glass, uh, it's, it's 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 kind of necessary. It's
0: yeah, you know. And with the boro, what I was running into problems with with the bead mandrels and stuff was they would stick a lot. Right. And I I was just assuming it was because of the heat.
1: You yeah, know? the boro is way harder to work with doing a bead because, you know. Boro the bead doesn't... release will start
0: cracking on you, like, super easy and all kinds of stuff. Right.
1: Well, you need a lot more heat in boro. Um, and then also on top of that, boro just doesn't flow. Yeah. You know, it's very, very stiff. And, you know, when you're forming a bead, gravity is doing 99% That's rounding of it out for you. Right. I mean, you're just sitting there spinning the mandrel and you're letting gravity shape the bead. And fluid dynamics, of course, but um, you know, on boro, it just doesn't want to move. Yeah,
0: and, and for for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, boro, we're referring to borosilicate glass, which is a different a different chemical mixture of glass that has a higher melting point and is more uh, resistant to fracturing with heat expansion and contraction as compared to like a soft glass. And that's why that's why soft glass flows a little bit more like honey and not like taffy. Just so you guys know. And Borosilicate is also if you think of Pyrex dishware, that's that's kind of how I'm gonna explain that. So go on. <laughs> Cause I know people are like, What are they talking about? Boro. Yeah. Who's yeah, Boro? Kinda, we forget
1: that uh ninety nine percent of the, the world doesn't have any clue as to what the hell we're talking about yeah. sometimes. So that's but, I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. So I you know I've got all these damn spacer beads, you know there's there's probably 4 or 5000 of them down there and I still haven't cleaned the things yet. That's why yeah. right, you had the Dremel
0: set yeah, up. Yeah, yeah.
1: So got that and and then the other thing that I'm like really down on right now is just trying to market the things. Yeah, cuz what
0: you're marketing is yourself as right. well and that becomes a thing of annoyance at some well, point and For the me, other
1: part of it is you know to sell the stuff online you got to take pictures of it you got to write descriptions of it you got to set up like either an auction on etsy e- or, or eBay, ebay or something or yeah. set up a website or do facebook groups or the the that's the new big thing right now the, the, big, the big sales right pages again, that's all fucking social media and that is i fucking hate it
0: yeah, and I've actually, for those of you that know, I've checked out of Facebook quite a bit and I've I've had a lot of struggle thinking about do I need to get back on it and start doing that? And I'm like, no, yeah. I don't. And part of me says I'm stupid for not doing it, but it's for my mental health, actually. Well, I,
1: <laughs> I got back, I, I quit using it. Um, I was using it a lot for about the first year that I had it and this was probably maybe... 8 9 years ago yeah. and I reconnected with a bunch of people from high school and that was cool um, and a lot of fun uh, we got together a few times and and um, and then I found myself uh, playing fucking mafia wars
0: <laughs> yeah I went on vampire uh, vampire wars for oh uh,
1: god you know and it just I was like, I was sitting there.
0: Farmville. Everybody knows.
1: Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember being out like working in the shop and looking at the time and I'm like, oh, it's time to go like.
0: Redo your thing so you get all the stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, because I
1: got to maximize the number of times a day I get this shit because it's so important. <laughs> but,
0: the, oh, but see, mate. that's, that's where you're, uh, you're that your the odds are stacked against you because there is a team of people plotting to do that to grab your attention yeah so so you were in a losing battle from the start
1: yeah so i i I just ended up going cold turkey on that and saying no more fuck it you know i've I've reconnected with the people from high school that i care about Mm -hmm. and want to deal with but facebook at that point it had started becoming you know ridiculous because um i was networking with all the glass artists yeah and you'd start with a few of them, and then you'd get friend requests from them, and then you'd see other people's lists, and you'd send the you know so there's all this shit so i've got and I still have most of them um and I haven't taken the glass artists out. I've taken them off of my feed, you know, so I don't see cuz it gets old after a while <laughs> and shit like that, but um I had like six hundred friends, and there's probably about thirty people that I actually know, yeah. on there. And for a while, it was cool because it was like, okay, this is a way to go, like, look at other people's work, get inspired, mm-hmm. things like that. But I just walked away from that for, oh, it was five, six years. And I just picked up Facebook again maybe a year, year and a half ago. And, and I took it off my phone again uh, about a month, month and a half ago. Yeah. And I don't miss it at all. I mm-hmm. found myself just picking it up and looking at shit and then getting pissed off <laughs> when, when I didn't like when I didn't go on it for a day, I w- I felt like I needed to go back and catch up on everything. Because if I read a comment that something had happened that I hadn't read the days before, you know, I felt like I was missing out. So I felt like I had to do it. I've got this compulsion like that. It's TV shows are the same way, you know, if if i can't watch every episode of a tv show i don't want to start it yeah so you, you know if I I, I I get that way sometimes i would never come into the the streaming is fine because you can watch everything but before that if you know if i was like 5 or 6 episodes into a tv show i'd uh-huh. say fuck it not even not even bother getting into it cuz i would obsess over what i missed in those few episodes
0: well i can say that last night was the most tv shows i have watched in probably three months (laughs) um and i feel bad about it because like the guys will be out there watching tv bob and stuff and i'm just like i don't want to watch it i don't want to be my whole thing is i don't want to be exposed to like commercials and and and, uh different ways of thinking that i don't agree with and i don't want to be angry for no reason over stupid shit anymore and that's when I realized, oh, this has an effect on me. The whole Facebook, all the stuff, is having an effect on me, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to feel like that anymore, right? You know, and I've, I, it's not like I've cut myself off from the world. I, I still get news. I know what's going on. I know how crazy shit is still, and that's pretty much the same. But I don't have that that anxiety from Facebook that I had, yeah, you know, because they're basically poking your brain and having cortisol released into your system, and it's not that great over an extended period of
1: time. Well, and it's the perfect way to make you keep checking back in yeah. because they don't have to do anything. It's your friends that are that are doing stuff that you want to check in on. So Facebook doesn't have to create any content. No, They're just mining the content that you're They're the operator awesome.
0: that connects the things and then watches what happens and says, oh, that works. I'm going to connect those two some more and watch this thing happen between them. And Yep.
1: Yeah. And then sell the advertising space. Yeah. I mean,
0: but, great model. Let's get back on to some glass talk <laughs> cuz we tend to do that. Okay, so we're working on getting our our chops back and we're working on trying to to move forward with creativity is what I you know, I feel like because you know, I'm trying to learn new things and you're talking about wanting to move out into new directions and try different something new, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's just it's hard to um to figure out a way to market it. 'Cause yeah. what I want to do is is not anything that really I can't see a, a a a market that's gonna supply a steady chain uh stream of income yeah. in any way. You know, yeah. that's that's what was great about the beads because even now, I mean, people are still selling beads. It's yeah. not as good as it was before, but they're still selling it. I just I just don't wanna go back and get stuck in that rut. I don't particularly wanna do the shows again. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, um, I've, I've been thinking about it, and I, I'm still, like, I'm struggling with it. Part of me, I don't want to deal with the whole selling, selling thing. Right. You I know? don't want
1: to sell anything. I, what I would like to do is make everything and then give it to somebody. Have and them make sell them put it on, you know, take the picture. They're your distributor, media, right? Yeah, do all that kind of stuff. I
0: wonder yeah. if there's anybody out there that does that, that's, like, a distributor for, like, a group of artists and takes care of all that stuff. From oh, yeah, them. yeah. Whenever they charge, they charge percentage, or they charge an upfront fee.
1: I have no idea. Huh. I've never talked to one. That's but, really interesting um, that concept. It's probably more money than I. Have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and take a short break, and uh, we'll come back and finish this podcast up for everybody. So sit back, relax, open up your juicy, delicious neurons, so my sponsors can sit down. And put their napkins around their neck and feast on your gray matter. This episode of the Langisms podcast is brought to you by... Company A and their new product, Distraction Ultra. Just like the original Distraction, but guaranteed to keep you distracted longer so we can continue to do diabolical shit. Original scent and new Chai Latte Tea Tree Hibiscus flavor. Fulfill your need for a distraction today. Company A is a proud sponsor of the Omega Foundation. All right, everybody. I hope you uh, your brain survived that onslaught of propaganda and information and that you are ready to go out and purchase and buy like never before. All right? And we're back here with Scott Harris. We're going to go ahead and uh, talk about our future glassy dreams for the future now and tie up this delicious awesome podcast for you guys all right so scott what do you want to do in the future with glass or just maybe just in creativity in general
1: Uh, right now I don't, I'm not really sure where I'm going to go with it. Uh, I mean.
0: Well, you got a lot going on here at the house. Yeah. So I can see that taking up a lot of time, but. Yeah.
1: And I've, uh, I'm going to start working again at a regular job for a little while. I just kind of feel like I need to step away from things and get out of the house. I'm, I'm, uh, so distracted by the house. Yeah. You know, because there's a million things to do here all the time. And I mean, it's, everybody's got that problem, but. I have a hard time detached myself and being able to go down and, uh, concentrate no, on anything. And not think about stuff the stuff together, you got to right? do around the house. Yeah. So for right now, I'm going to, going to step out of the house for a little bit and, and um, uh, do some work out there. And it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to like just change my direction in life, uh, or it's going to uh, kick me in the ass and remind me how much working for somebody else sucks ass, and uh, motivate me to get back down yeah. into the studio so I don't have to go. And <laughs> so that's a that's a good good way to do it. Because I honestly I honestly don't know which I'm I'm hoping for either because there's pros and
0: cons to both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I totally get that because I struggle with those things as well. Um. I'm not – I realized that uh, – because I was at the same point I needed to step away from everything, and I'm at a point now where I'm like, I'm going to do this even if it's just a chip at a time. And if I just get one person to dig stuff at a time, and it takes me a billion years to do it, I'm still going to do it. Yeah. So you guys can uh, look forward to that. I can tell you that. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, you got you've got a ton of stuff going on too. I mean, you've got uh you I got, got school, school going, going, going on. on. We're getting, got getting got ready podcast. to the, Yeah,
0: podcast are getting ready to sell the house too and yeah, that's probably move.
1: Be a big change. Yeah, uh,
0: and I'll I'll podcast about that later you guys. I'm going to do a whole special
1: series about that. Blow your motherfucking minds. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see what what the future brings, but uh right now um I, uh, I'm only going down there when I really want to go down there and when I feel like I'm ready to go down there. And so I'm, I'm having a good time, but the problem with that is right now, that's kind of few and far between at the moment. But when I am, when I am down there working, I'm having a good time. Um, you know, it's just, I've got to, um, I've got to detach myself from, Attempting to do stuff that I knew I was able to do a couple of years ago that uh-huh. I'm no longer able to do. And I got to think about baby steps. So,
0: yeah, and I think that's a really good philosophy is like baby step in it, you know, because like I've talked about, don't set yourself up to like be frustrated and stuff. I mean, it's OK to be frustrated, but don't set yourself up to hit a freaking wall. Right. You know, and it's it's better to take small leaps forward than giant steps forward and then fall off a cliff backwards. You know what I mean? So I think that's a pretty good philosophy is baby. Baby step in it, man. You know. Um, You have anything, any advice you want to give to anybody who is interested in starting glass work or any kind of creative endeavor?
1: Uh, Just go do it. Right. You Don't know. be afraid. Right. Yeah. You know. Do do your research ahead of time and and figure out how not to waste money. That's the biggest thing because, um, I wasted shitloads of money in glass, um, doing stuff and buying stuff that, if I would have known anything about it before I bought it, I never would have bought it. You know, different tools. And <laughs> We've things. all been there, man. Right, and and if I had taken if I had invested more time in the beginning taking more classes and, um, you know, learning more techniques from different people and stuff like that, I think that's the money that's best spent because it's going to save you from wasting money later on. Yeah. You know, um, but, but, you know, do start, uh, you know, whatever you're, whatever you're thinking about doing, definitely do it in some form. Uh, and, and don't let things stop you, but, um, you know, absorb as much as you can in education because it always pays off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that. I think, uh, if, if you guys are out there and you guys want to start something that you've never done before, but it's just interesting to you and you want to know if you like it, I totally recommend going like to the local, community college or something and take a class. You know, there's always if you go online and do a search, you can find somebody maybe offering private classes and something and just see if you like it first, especially if it's something that costs a lot of money. Obviously, if you're going to take up drawing or something, it's a sketchbook and a pencil. But if you're investing a lot of equipment, I recommend just seeing if you if it's something that you're going to be excited about doing, you know, because if you do it and you're like, oh, that was fun. But, you know, I'd rather play World of Warcraft or do something else. then I don't recommend doing it. You
1: know, right, right.
0: But just get out there and try it, and just don't be afraid, you know. Because, to be honest, everybody tries to, to do stuff, and a lot of people aren't that great at it when they first start, you know. But don't let that deter you, because if you do something a million times, you're going to be excellent at it. And that's what I would say. And uh, I don't know anything else you want to add to this podcast, Scott?
1: Um, I think I'm good, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming uh, or coming on the podcast again. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to having you on again in the future. And we'll talk some more about current events maybe or maybe not. Probably not.
1: Well, you never know. It depends <laughs> on what's current at the time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we'll be in a FEMA camp and we can set up the FEMA camp podcast <laughs> and we can talk about current events then because it will be pretty relevant where to get your first aid kit. And stuff. <laughs> all right, everybody, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'll be back after this commercial break to give you guys announcements and put this podcast in a package and wrap it up and tie it up in a nice little bow for you. All right. So sit back again. All right. And this time you might want to put on a safety harness and crack your skull open to expose your membranes to subliminal messages from my
1: sponsors.
0: This portion of the Languisms podcast is brought to you by the Omega Foundation. Working hard to help fund groundbreaking advancement in medicine that, well, let's face it, you'll never be able to afford, but should help fund anyway, because you care about puppy dogs and laughing and smiling with friends on a sunny day. So donate today. The Omega Foundation. Helping those who deserve it. Alright everybody. Hope you uh, enjoyed that podcast. And uh, I know it seemed like I kind of started it off with this kind of like dark, dark thing and then went to this creative place and now you're kind of left going wow. Wow. <laughs> right? Um, just so you know, we'll be back with the normal type of, uh, structure I've been working on next week. Um, it'll be a special podcast, getting ready to go on a tropical trip, and I'll hopefully be bringing you guys some, some, uh, awesome <clears throat> episodes from a faraway location with nice, cool tropical breezes and friendly people. And warm sunny beaches all right so you have that to look forward to right which is pretty cool considering everything is so freaking crazy right now right so and uh yeah once again if you guys have any comments or anything about this podcast or any other podcast you can always go to langstevens.net click on the uh, contact button i believe and You should be able to email me through there. And my email is actually listed there, which is AwakeMindJourney at gmail.com. You can send me emails. You can send me questions. You can send me facts that I might have missed. You can send me uh, all kinds of stuff. You can send me an audio clip of your favorite ism, and I will incorporate that into the theme song. All right? And uh, if you guys have any ideas or if you want to know anything else... that's going on with me or opinions about anything anything, or, or if you want to know my opinions about anything feel free to ask you know because uh, you're not going to know who I am unless you want to talk to me right and I'm just the same with everybody else if you want to know things about other people you need to be able to go up and approach them and ask them things right getting to know people is pretty cool right and I recommend that and another thing I also recommend is to learn to love yourself right and you guys probably wonder why, <clears throat> why I say that. I say that because I realized that with myself, I couldn't be of use to anybody or anything or, any, any, or even myself until I, I took care of myself and learned to love myself, right? Because I wasn't doing that. So I think if you guys out there listening, if there's one thing you can do today, learn to love yourself. And even if it's just one little aspect of yourself, it's a really, really good place to start if you do that. All right. Have a good one, everybody. I'm out of here. Peace. Materialism,
1: langism, socialism, spiritualism, nationalism.